Which two? Oh, Lee's got three. Three B and C. So the blanks, the all. I'll give you all three blanks, Lee. A is danger. B is devotion. C is delight. Any other missing blanks? One A one. God first first promise to the Levites, tribe of Levi. Four, A, you love the fellowship of the faithful. I'm missing all types of blanks this morning. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, I know. Okay. I don't think Jacob has any blanks, so you can take a break from blanks. Would you consider putting the answers upside down on the back? <laughs> Uh, I could post them online afterwards, you know. Um, but actually, I've thought through some of that. I thought of, you know, could I put this, my old, my old mentor, John Street, we used to call him Pastor PowerPoint because he would do stuff like this, with double, triple alliteration, but he'd always have it up on the screen. And in my thinking, I, the date, there's always unintended consequences. If you're putting the text up on the screen, you get the benefit that, hey, everyone can see it. And you get the negative that, hey, nobody's opened their Bibles. And so I rarely try to use PowerPoint and stuff just because I, I really like the center of the focus of what we're doing to be on a book that's open, that we've got open, and that we're opening up and reading. Um, nothing against, I don't think there's anything wrong with PowerPoint and stuff. It's just um, I, I don't want that unintended consequence. I, I, I'm... I love hearing the pages turn. When I say, hey, turn over to Hebrews, and I hear pages turn, I, 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 I dig that. Um, but I could post the complete, because I have, like, mine's printed out. Like, when I save the outline, I got outline, outline filled, outline filled large. I could post outline filled large on the church website for anybody who wants to go back and check. That'd be easy enough next to the blank outline. So I can uh, make a note and get that to Mandy, and she could post it on Monday morning for anybody who wants to. So that could totally... Beforehand, the, Don, the reason I do the blanks is to stop people from going ahead. Despite that, I know that Mike Doty and Mark Sullivan like test themselves on how many they can guess ahead of time. And they'll let me know. Like, I got, I got most of them. You know? So I, I try to throw them curveballs every now and then um, with, with things. But, yeah, that's, it's mostly to stop people from going ahead because so, otherwise people are reading ahead and like, okay, stick with me. We're on this point. You just fill the blank in. That's at least my thinking. But, okay. Is that all the blanks that are missed? Okay, thoughts, questions, complaints on this morning's text and message. You can't have complaints on the text, but you certainly can on the message. So, um, Oh, we got, oh. Okay, so in, let's see, in like 63 and 64 about I am a companion of all who fear you, um, and you talked about, then you took us into First John 4, 19. Yeah. Um, and so I know that talks about just loving, like if you say, I love God, then how can you not love your brother? Um, but that's not just fellow believers, right? It's, it's all of 
We are to God's love our people. I think in John he is talking about other believers. Our love is not limited to other believers. Yes, I think in I think usually in the New Testament speaks of your brother. It means your fellow believer. Um, we're to love our neighbor. That can be anybody. I mean, the example of the uh, Good Samaritan is someone completely unknown. You, you, we are to love our neighbor. We're to love our enemies. I do think First John's talking about. Christians, just in John's use of your brother, pretty consistently, I think means Christians. But in a broader sense, no, we're not limited to just. It's not. Jesus says, "You've heard it. You should love your 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 uh, neighbor and hate your enemy." I tell you, love your enemy. So, so there was a a tribal mentality to the Pharisees, which was, "Okay, we're the good guys and we love the good guys," and then the Gentiles are the bad guys and we hate them. So certainly, there's not a love the church and hate the Gentiles. But there's a love the brethren and love the, your the uh, love your neighbor, your unbelieving neighbor. The difference being, we shouldn't be as delighting in the company of the unbeliever. We should be de- we should love them and serve them. We should love them by preaching the word to them. But their their gods, their values also should be grievous to us, right? I mean, so there should be a sense that when I'm interacting with unbelievers, that it's bittersweet. I can see good things in them. I mean, I can certainly see Jesus talks about how you give good gifts to your children. So there can be noble, good qualities in unbelievers that we can value in them. This guy's got a great work ethic. This guy's wise. This guy's kind. And and those can be great things. There will also be tinges of things that should grieve us. You know, this person is worshiping at the altar of money or success or this, whatever. And, And so the point here being... If I love God and I want more of God, one of the ways I get more of God is I hang out with God's people. And, and they, they smell and look like him. And, and, and believers can further remind me of who he is and they can encourage me. And so in the context of, of delighting in my inheritance, my portion, and wanting more of it, one of the ways I evidence that is by being with believers. I'm like, there's some, there should be something special about getting together with other believers and the fellowship and the commonality we can have that we won't be having with those of the world. Does that mean what? Yeah, that okay. helps. I just, okay. I had thought, I was afraid that it was like implying that we shouldn't be. And no. I had thought of like the Sermon on the Mountain. No, the key, no, the key in my okay. blank, my key on my blank here is love the fellowship of the faithful. That's what the blanks fellowship is that commonality, that mutuality that I'm not going to have, even with my close unbelieving relatives. They don't love the same things I love as deeply as, you know what I mean? And so being with people who love the one whom I love, who are faithfully trying to serve the one I'm trying to faithfully serve, that's part of what it means to want to know God better. Not for a second saying, and to heck with the other people. Um, good, good, good clarification. Yes. Don. Uh, or Lee, is it? Lee or Don? No, just messing with I, I, this will shock you. I, heard, I reached for his name in my head, and I grabbed Lee earlier this morning. And it's not Lee. It's Don. Um, where you have, uh, let me see, where'd it go? It was first promised to the Levites. Yes. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to, Pick a nit, but uh, I see it, it promised to Abraham, or in Genesis fifteen one, that amazing chapter, right. um, where he says, "I am your great and exceeding reward." Genesis fifteen one. Hold on. Yes. Let's take a look at it. If you got me, you got me cold. That's fine. Perhaps you do. We shall see. 
Bingo. No, you're right. That's fantastic. I wish I'd thought of that before I put the message together. <laughs> you should have. Why didn't you that, text that, me earlier, man? Um, well, no, no, because it's the same. Pa- well, the same pa- no, it's the same pattern that I was trying to point out with with the promised land. That God, even as He's giving the Israelites these great material blessings, I mean, one of the things that's amazing about the promised land, He tells them, "You're going to reap from gardens you didn't plant. You're going to eat grapes you didn't sow. You're going to live in houses you didn't build. Not only to get land, it's an inhabited land, and they get to just move in." And before he does that, he wants to highlight, but I'm your reward. And he does the same thing here in Genesis 15 as, thank you. Before he's going to promise him these things, fear not, Abraham, I am your shield and your reward. Oh, I'm your shield. Your reward should be very great. The Lord said, oh, Lord God. And then he goes on to promise, but God's again rooting it in himself. No, excellent point. Um, Again, that's a great chapter. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> what time of day did, did God later later in that chapter he calls Abraham out of his tent and says I want you to look, count the stars yeah. what time of day was it? night uh-uh. no read the chapter okay. <laughs> uh, okay when the sun had gone down and it was dark that's the smoking torch um Okay. Okay. In your tent. You came, you, 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 uh, verse, verse 12, though, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. I mean, right. okay. Okay. Okay, no, no. Well, we can talk more. We can talk more. I'll get, that's a new thought to me. So I, I will, uh, I'll chew on that. Other other thoughts. Oh. Once once again, if you would post your outline ahead of time, we could help you. <laughs> oh, here Hi. we are. Yeah. Yes. Hi. Hi, I'm new here. The when you responded to the lady's question about the brothers and the neighbors. And it, your message this morning, I think, relates to me. I very honestly and sincerely am a struggling neighbor. And I very much want to be a brother. But I am having some struggling turns. So this message this morning and your thoughts seem to speak directly to my heart and so I, I just wanted to point that out I'm, I'm glad to, to be among your brotherhood well, praise and God hopefully I can come and anyway become more faithful and we are having a luncheon for new people and guests a week from today you should come to that it would be right after this time next week so if you just plan on eating lunch here next week come back and you can get to know our leadership, you and about, I think we have about a dozen people who will be coming to that. It will just be the elders, the leaders here, and us, and we'll be eating lunch and Q&A, and love to have you. So. What are you, what are you having? <laughs> Vala- Pizza. Well, I, 
I'm on, I'm doing keto, so my wife's going to get me like a a, a, a cauliflower crust pizza. They, <laughs> Villaggio's pizza, Villaggio's pizza. We're going to get some Villaggio's pizza down here, and uh, I'll be eating cauliflower pizza. But hey, okay. Well, no, your brother's having Villaggio's. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm good. Hey, nothing nothing tastes better than thin, right? So. Um, uh, no, praise God. Thank you for that testimony. That's very encouraging. Praise God. Praise God. Anything else? we got 20 minutes, people. i got some thoughts. Um, one of the things I've stressed is loyalty. God's loyal. So, so some, some terms that show up in the Bible. The word Lord, um, by which most of your translations translate uh, the, the tetragrammaton or God's covenant name, we, we our best guess, and it's a good guess, is Yahweh. Um, that's also where Jehovah comes from. That's a whole other story. But when the when the Hebrew names got brought over into English, they came through the Germanic languages, and all the Ys become Js. So Jeremiah would really be Jeremiah, and so on, and so forth. Um, but so Yahweh is God's covenant name. It's connected to covenant um, with His covenant people, and then God even as he loves all of the world and he loves the birds and he feeds them and he loves the people and he loves the evil and he gives them rain on the just and the unjust, God's chesed, his covenant love, what the ESV translates pretty consistently is his steadfast love or loyal love. It's his love connected to his covenant and promises to his people. It's that love. You might call it your family love. I can say that I love you, but I love my children. I love my wife, and it's a different type of love for my wife and my kids than for you guys, even as I love you and hope I love my neighbor. God's love, his hesed, is only ever spoken of directed towards his covenant people. So when it says at the end of this chunk, your steadfast love, the whole earth is full of your steadfast love. The whole earth is full of these evidences of God's faithfulness and loving kindness to his people. That's the idea. Um, And so that notion of loyal love and the priesthood, which is this is linked in. Look, go to Exodus 30... One, it's underlined. I'll find it here. Um, it's absolutely remarkable how the priesthood is given to Levi, and the the level of loyalty God rewards them for. Um, so the golden calf is at Exodus thirty. It's probably right. Yeah. Now thirty. What? Thirty-two. Calf's thirty-two. So let me find my. Um, spot. Okay, here it is, 32. Got it. Okay. So go to 32 um, and 3025. So Moses goes, so the backstory is Moses goes up on the mountain. He's up there for 30 days with God. The people say, come to Aaron and say, hey, this is this fellow Moses. We don't know what's happened to him. Make some gods for us to worship. So Aaron compromises. It's not as quite as bad as it may look. It's still pretty bad. Aaron makes the golden calf, but he calls the golden calf Yahweh. He says, this is the Lord. So what Aaron's done is broken the commandment against imaging God. It appears, as best as we can get, he's trying to sort of hem the damage. He should have just said, no, repent, but he makes them this thing to look at, but he still calls it Yahweh. He's trying to keep them faithful to Yahweh, even as he's unfaithfully making an image for them. Something like that seems to be going on. Um, 
And so Moses rebukes him. And then verse 25, when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from one gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you've been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son or his brother, so that you might bestow a blessing upon so that he might bestow a blessing upon you to this day. And Moses the next day said to the people, You've sinned a great sin. So just what an absolutely remarkable and and stunning commitment to God. Their their commission is you just walk from one side to the other and you cut down who you come across. What if it's my brother? You cut down whoever you come across. What if it's my son? You cut down whoever you come across. 3,000 people get cut down. It's important to to remind ourselves this is God's direction from his prophet leader of his theocratic people. This wouldn't be something you'd be doing today. But sin is serious, and God's trying to communicate the seriousness of sin. And the loyalty, who's your loyalty with? Your blood or the Lord God who's redeemed you? And Levi does this. Go to Deuteronomy, the end of Deuteronomy. Moses sings a farewell song. This is one of the Psalms of Moses that aren't in the book of Psalms. The end of Deuteronomy, Moses highlights this. Um, 32? Yeah. Deuteronomy 32. Um, There we go. No, 33. Sorry, 33. 32 is a song as well. So he blesses the tribes in his song. And so starting in verse 6, he blesses Reuben, verse 7, Judah. Look at verse 8 in Levi. We get the impression that that event was really significant. And of Levi, he said, Give to Levi your Urim and Thummim to your godly one whom you tested at Massah, with whom you quarreled at the waters of Meribah, who said of his father and his mother, I regard them not. He disowned his brothers and ignored his children, for they observed your word and kept your covenant. So Moses is highlighting the fact that they put fidelity to God above that. And that's singled out for them in the fact that when they go into the land, you don't get an inheritance. I mean, you can think of how tempting it would be to grumble. Everyone else, I mean, just imagine, you know, the the governor or the, the president is just going to start allotting like, you know, five acres of land per person. And you're looking forward to this. And you don't get any. Why? Because you get God. And yet it was an honor for them. And so it's, it's modeling for these people in Israel. Your ultimate reward is not this land. This land's good land. Flows of milk and honey. It's great land. There's a better reward still yet for you. And Levi gets singled out because they show that same covenant loyalty to God who shows covenant loyalty to them. Now go to Luke 14. In that context, perhaps Jesus' words on discipleship might make a bit more sense. 
and be a little less extreme. Um, Luke 14, 25 and 26. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned to them and said, you ever stumble over this passage? Like, what on earth is he saying? There's an Old Testament background to this. If anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, child, and brother and sister, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Well, steeps in the backdrop of Levi and what happened there, I think Jesus is clearly saying, just as Levi was honored for their single-minded, loyal devotion to God that trumped even blood and family relations, I'm, I'm calling for that same level of loyalty from those who would follow me. So the application of walking from one end of a camp to another sword and cutting people down, that's, that's no longer what we're called to do. But the loyalty and the commitment of one that would cause someone to be able to do such a thing. Oh, Jesus insists. I'm, I'm, I'm calling for that exact same level of commitment, right? So, so the standard of loyalty and the standard of commitment is unchanged, even as the application of it is. Um, and so one of those hard sayings of Jesus comes right out of that. And, and again, and, and I'm bringing this up in relationship to this, that phrase, the Lord is my portion, it, it doesn't occur all that often. It occurs a few times in the Old Testament, and it really is first highlighted, um, especially in that phrasing portion, with Levi and the priesthood. Um, and so you connect in this strophe the psalmist's loyalty to God. Even though the, the wicked are trying to trap me, I keep your rules. Um, I, my feet are quick. I do not delay. I, I, I'm, what's creating this response in him is when he realizes his portion is the Lord, he responds with the same sort of loyalty like the tribe of Levi did to God. It, it causes that reciprocal relationship. The Lord is my inheritance and portion, and we are his inheritance and portion. I am my beloved's, my beloved is mine, that type of thing. Or Paul, that I might know him and take hold of him who's taken hold of me. There's a sense of mutual belonging to one another. We are Christ's and he is ours. That, that, that feeds into our devotion. So in this eight-verse section, the psalmist's response of commitment, I think, is directly tied to seeing and valuing the Lord and his promises to him. Like that'd be sort of the summary of the whole sort of section. So, um, But the background of Levi and how they became priests and why it is they didn't receive an inheritance in the land, it's because they showed that sort of devotion and loyalty to God. And it was a reward and an honor, even as they went without land. So... Don, go Don. No one else is raising their hand. Don, you go. I just go, going back to Genesis 15. Oh, um, it's interesting you know, where God says, "You know, I'm I'm your uh, shield and your exceeding great reward." But Abraham says, "Well, yeah, that's good, but I like want something I can see. I want something I can, see. <laughs> you know, what are you going to give me, seeing I go childless?" And, uh, right. No, no, a Abraham eventually gets creative in trying to solve the problem for God, doesn't he? Um, I, I got to... And, and that can often be for us some of the greatest challenges is when you want a good thing that God says is a good thing. I mean, God promises Abraham a seed. Abraham wants a seed. That's great. There's nothing wrong here. Getting it at God's time and in God's way um, instead of cutting corners. Um, the very first sermon I ever preached outside of seminary 
they have a class in the seminary, was at South Baptist in New Hampshire, and it was called the Process Driven Life. And of course, the Purpose Driven Life was really big back then. And um, I was trying to make the point that God cares just as much how you pursue good ends as much as he does that you pursue good ends. And that how you go about Abraham getting a child, how you go about running a church, is just as good, as important as that you have good ends. And you think of some other examples. I mean, Saul. What's this Saul's first failure for which he loses the dynasty? Because Saul, Saul's going to have two big failings. First one, there's not going to be a dynasty, Saul. It's going to end with you. Second one is the uh, sparing of Agag and making the statue of himself, and he loses the kingdom. Not that he surrenders it. He still runs around as the pretender king for a couple more years, but that's when he's done, and God finds a man after his own heart. But what's the first thing Saul does? Anybody? Jake needs, you guys need to grab Jake's notes or something. Yeah, the, 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 the sacrifice. Samuel says, okay, I'm going to come back on the fourth or seventh day, and you wait, because the Philistines have gathered an army, and so Saul, the whole reason that people want a king is to go fight their wars for him. So Saul is supposed to be a military leader. He's supposed to gather the army and go fight the Philistines. And Samuel says, hey, you wait for the appointed time. I'll be back. We'll offer a sacrifice and we'll go fight. And it's the last day and Samuel hasn't shown up yet. And people are getting nervous and people are starting to desert. What does Saul want? He wants victory. He wants God's people to be victorious over the... There's nothing he wants that's wrong. What's the method God said? Wait, Samuel's going to offer the sacrifice. So Saul offers the sacrifice. And when Samuel shows up just a few minutes afterwards, he's like, I didn't want to. I had to make myself do it. And that's when you get, does the Lord delight as much in sacrifices and obedience? Behold, the sin of rebellion is as a sin of divination. Um, so, or am I mislabeling it? Was that Agag? Hold on. I should check it out, shouldn't I? Okay. That's correct? Okay. So Saul wants a good thing. He goes about it the wrong way. Abraham wants an heir. Good thing. And he sleeps with Hagar. Bad thing. And so it's not always our struggles are just wanting the right thing versus wanting a bad thing, but pursuing a good thing in the right way is, is just as important. The methodology. Um, it's not enough to have good goals if God has told us how he wants to do something. We just need to be busy doing that. Um, and, and not necessarily getting creative. It's like doing church. Um, the seeker-sensitive movement largely came from the perspective of let's find out what people want in our community and as much as we can give them that, you know? Um, and there's a certain wisdom to it, and you can certainly draw a crowd, man. I went to Rick Warren's church. It was amazing. And they, I think they're close to, they're close to, uh, they're close to Disneyland, and I'm pretty sure some of the same people that they had, they had Disneyland level um, grounds, um, precision and beauty, and like their grounds were just as pristine and thematic and well done as Disney's was. It was remarkable. We had to go. It was assignment in seminary. Go to a radically di different church service and take notes. So we went to uh, we went to Rick Warren's church, Saddleback. It was amazing. You know, clearly that was a value for them. Um, the, the danger with the seeker-sensitive movement was, of course, that plenty of times people want things that aren't necessarily good for them. 
People want really short messages, and they want upbeat, and they want to feel good about themselves, and they want to be encouraged. And those aren't fundamentally bad things, but if that's your highest value, you're not really going to mention judgment, wrath, because that doesn't make you feel good. Um, and so conversely, you know, I've heard Greg Sweet says, when we, when we try to plan our gatherings, the real first and first concern is we, we want to be faithful and gather the way God wants us to gather. And so there are instructions for what churches are supposed to when they get together and how we're supposed to do things. And so the first concern is, are we being faithful to the rule book and the instructions? It's not enough to say we just want to reach people, but we want to do it God's, we want to do God's things God's way. Um, and, and so that is an important distinction. I'm not even sure how we got there from the psalm, but anyway. This is what happens when you don't ask questions. I go off on tangents, so you only have yourself to blame. So, Any other questions? We've got 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Oh, Mrs. Moore. Lee McIntosh from Kiyosakwa. Ooh. Now, now at Norwalk, sucked in like me by children. <laughs> oh, thank you, though, and I'm when you you seem to be pointing out that it's not how we do things, but why we do things. It's really important to God. I think it's both. I think, on the one hand, our goals need to be His goals, and there can sometimes be a challenge where actually my goals are: I want to make a lot of money, or I want to be advanced in my business, or my goal is the people who think I'm really smart in which case my goal's wrong, and I need to drop my goal. But there's also a danger in wanting um, a good thing. Well, I'll, give you, I'll give you an example. A lot of, of watered-down evangelism is done precisely for the goal of reaching more people. A lot of, um, of, of shallow gospel proclamation is done precisely in the name of we don't want to offend people. We, don't, we, want, we want people to get saved. We want, those... They're good goals. Has God told us how to preach the gospel? Has the Bible modeled that? The apostles in the book of Acts give us any indication how it's to be done? Let's just be faithful in doing that. Um, it's, it's, so there's the danger on the one hand of having the wrong goals. We can assume the world's values and goals. But so when you said it's this instead of this, I'd say it's both and. It's like which wing of the plane is more important? Which blade of the scissors is more important? We need to have God's goals. And then we need to be obedient in pursuing them the way God says to pursue them. Both. I, I think um, that's a, does, that, does that make sense? That's a very good point. I, I, I know the Bible a little bit, not real well, but I know it, I think in Proverbs, <clears throat> the end of chapter, <clears throat> excuse me, the end of chapter 20, it talks about how God looks upon your heart yes. to see why you do things. <clears throat> and then you jump right into 21 and it talks about how uh, how we manipulate our thoughts to so we can do things the way we want to do them so we can improve how we look or how we do or how we seem rather than really you know doing it to so we need to basically shine our light on our own hearts and determine and question why we are doing things. Are we doing things to lift ourselves up or are we doing things to lift right. others up or, you know, to serve others? I'm yeah, yeah. We need to make sure our goals are right and then we need to make sure if God's told us how to pursue the goals or being faithful doing that. I'll give, I'll give you one example. Most churches that fail to deal with, to fail to obey Matthew 18, dealing with sin, do so precisely in the name of wanting to reach people. 
It just we just need to be obedient. We just need to do things the way God told us to do it and let him worry about the results. So all the motives I hear for not doing that is precisely we don't want to drive people away. We don't want the community to think, like, if God's told us how to do something, we just need to be faithful. It's, 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 so God's goals are important. And like you're saying, are we exalting ourselves? Are we trying to be faithful? But then equally, like, if, if our dad has told us not just that he wants the lawn mowed, but how he wants us to mow it, we need to mow it that way. You know, I tell my son when he mows my lawn, I want you to do this way and these lines this way. I care not just that he does it, but how. And God, if he's told us how to do things, then we need to be zealous both in having the right motive, the right goal, and then not thinking we're smarter than him and being obedient to doing it the way he said to do it. You know, I'll give you one other example of that is uh, he taught that to uh, Naaman. Remember Naaman the Assyrian? He's got leprosy. And, and he comes, and Elijah won't even go meet him. He sends out his servant to him. And he's insulted, and he's like, hey. And I, I love the language. I thought he would come out and wave his hands. And, you know, he, he was expecting a big magical show. And what he gets is a servant boy saying, hey, go bathe in the Jordan River seven times. And he, he wanted Harry Potter. He wanted, like, you know, where the you know, Mickey Mouse with the, you know, the, yeah. He wanted some big theatrical thing. And, hey, you got to humble yourself and be obedient. Well, he eventually did, and he was cured. Um, so it seems in that case, God wanted not just to cure him, but he, will you do it my way? Will you do it the way I tell you to do it? The way you, the way you said to do it looks stupid. Marching around Jericho is not a... I'll check with you. Matt, marching around a walled, armed city seven times without weapons is not normally a sound military strategy. No. And what's the point? I mean, I think God wants to highlight, I'm giving you victory. It's not because you're smart, and it's not because you've sharpened your arrows really well. It's because I'm the living God. And so can you go do something that looks really stupid? Right. No. I mean, basically, unless God said to do it, that's a terrible idea. Right? <laughs> unless God said march around the, of Jericho, that is not a good strategy. And so it is a test of faith, and it's a demonstration of his power, because when God destroys this mighty walled city on a hill by an unarmed people walking around with horns <laughs> quietly. And they're armed on the last day, but, you know, they're just walking around. Um, it shows his power. It shows his strength. And it's clear the battle and the victory belong to him. Okay. Sorry, we're almost out of time. Yes. Forgive me, Jeremy, because I, I don't know the, <laughs> the passage Absolvo. for this. But this reminds me of the time the a prophet in Israel was to go to Jeroboam, I believe, and give a message. And he said, don't stay there. Oh, don't the talk lion. to him. You know, you go and then that's it. And yeah. so then another prophet comes and tells him, oh, an angel told me that you're supposed to do this. He listens to the angel, I mean, to the prophet who said that, and God kills him. I mean, that is yeah. a message of how serious also we're to take the That's Lord. one of the strangest passages in the Bible. Um, you're, you're right. No, it's, it, well, the prophet who basically waylays him and deceives him says, now you didn't obey God, you're going to be... Yeah, he gets, doesn't he get like, killed by a lion on the way home? Yes. A lion comes out and kills him? Yeah, it's bizarre, bizarre. But um, 
yeah, God, God, care. God wants us to be obedient. We don't need to be as innovative as we need to be faithful. Um, it's, I think it's far better to be reminded we're children of, of a father. We're, we're, we're subjects under a king, and he, he wants our hearts, and he wants our motives, but he also wants us just to obey. And we don't always need to understand why. Do what I told you to do. Why? I mean, frequently he does tell us why. Um, Jesus makes it clear in John 15. That's the that's why he calls us friends. I no longer call you slaves. I call you friends. Why? A slave does his master's will and doesn't know why. A friend does. So you still expect us to obey. Oh, yeah. I mean, Jesus is defining friendship in a very precise way. But we, we get insight into why. But we don't always know why. Um, and, and the challenge for us is to be obedient even when we don't know why and to be faithful even then. We are at time. I'll be happy to stick around and chat with anyone who wants to. Next week, we'll be back in James. Next week is our new attendee fellowship. Thank you all. God bless.